Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Weed, Wine, and True Crime. I'm your host, Rose420. I put out an announcement today, some of you might have seen. We got a Twitter. You could follow us at, at WeedCrime1 or it's under Weed, Wine, and True Crime and has our logo as the picture. Anyways, tonight we are going to get into the prosecution and perhaps the defense of O.J. Simpson, or as I like to call him, Juice the Douche. So grab your weed, grab your wine, and let's drive into this true crime. Hey guys, as you may have heard me say in the beginning, I'm going to reiterate, we have a Twitter. I want you to use it to communicate with me, suggest cases, discuss past cases, maybe discuss what your theories are on things. I want to just start like a little stoner true crime community for all of us. So please follow the Twitter. Like I said, the handle is at weedcrime one or it's under weed, wine, and true crime. So please give us a follow. Please share with your friends. So on to the strain of the day. I am smoking runts right now. I give it a six out of 10 leaves. It's dank. It's okay. It's not the best I ever had. Not the worst. Gets you stoned. I'm also smoking diamonds as my concentrate right now, taking a break from live resin and it's getting me nice and stoned and I'm enjoying it. I also have, per usual, my best friend Pinot Grigio with me. So now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, grab your bong, blunt, bowl. Why do so many things you smoke out of start with a B? Whatever you smoke out of, hookah, there's one without a B. A joint, whatever just dab rigs grab it grab a drink if you want to and let's dive in to the prosecution's case okay so the prosecution is led by marcia clark and christopher darden they are deputy da's so they are the ones designated to take on this trial to prosecute it to present all the evidence. Marsha Clark was the head prosecutor or lead prosecutor and Christopher Darden was co-counsel. Other prosecutors included Hank Goldberg and William Hodgman and they had done cases with Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden in the past. They were usually successful so they are on the team as well. They also have two DNA experts, Rockney Harmon and George Woody Clark, no relation to Marisha, Marisha, Mar- Marisha Clark. There's no relation. Her Clark is without an E and George Woody Clark's is with an E. So there you go. They were also assisted by Lisa Kahn. So that's a huge team. 
So you could tell already that they aren't playing around. Like, that is a big team for the prosecution. You know, usually the defense has multiple, and it's usually the DA and maybe a couple co-counsel. So this is a big team to go into this trial. So their theory dove into the domestic violence against Nicole Brown. I'm not going to call her Simpson Brown because... I I know that was her name, but I do believe that OJ murdered her, and I don't think it's fair to her memory, so I'm just going to call her Nicole Brown. And they believed that the domestic violence against Nicole Brown Simpson is what unfortunately led to her demise. So obviously there was a record of Juice the Douche hitting Nicole Brown, and there's pictures I don't know. If you Google it, you can find pictures of her. I have them burned into my memory because I've seen them a few times and her face is terrible. I want to just make a side note here. If you're a man and you hit a woman, you are the scum of the earth. Like scum on my shoes, disgusting, don't want you here, goodbye. Goodbye, sir. Like, no. You're not hitting women. It's never okay. Don't care what the excuse is. I don't care how mad you were. I don't care if she went out and had sex with 75 people. You do not have the right to put your hands on a woman, especially as a professional football player. And I know people are going to say, well, Lindsay, women shouldn't hit men. No, they should not. But there is no signs of Nicole hurting OJ in lesson defense. And she was a tiny little thing. You know, she probably weighed 110 pounds soaking wet. And he was a professional football player. So back to what I was saying. You're the scum of the earth. You're, you should be like, I don't even know locked in a cage underground and tortured for the rest of your life. Women do not deserve to get hit. The mother of his children, he was hitting her. So, on the night of the murders, Juice the Douche did go to a dance recital for his daughter. And he was very angry because of what Nicole wore to this recital. So, keep in mind they're separated at this point they are not together and he is mad because she wore a black dress that was too tight so ladies and gentlemen as somebody who's been in a controlling abusive relationship that is so controlling and disgusting and they weren't together and even if they were if she felt good in it she should be able to wear it he should not be dictating these things like no Get the fuck out of here, OJ. You are disgusting. Like, Nicole, if... Girl, I bet you looked friggin' awesome in that dress. Killing it, honey. Yes, queen. So, just fuck OJ per usual. OJ had a girlfriend at the time... I'm laughing because he's so mad. Nicole can have no one else, but he's already found another vagina to fall into. Her name is Paula Barbieri. And she she wanted to go to this recital and OJ wouldn't let her. Obviously, because he's not over Nicole He wants to harass her. He's a disgusting excuse for a human. He's scum. 
he should be burning in hell. I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> He's perhaps Khloe Kardashian's father, which is not an evil thing. But I just like to just throw that in there as a reminder every once in a while that Khloe Kardashian <laughs> made her mother take a test to prove that that was her mother. I just want everybody to know that. And she does. She did not believe that Robert Kardashian was her father. So even she questions the OJ thing, which is insane. So after the recital, OJ goes home and breaks up with Paula. So I can't say they're correlated, but clearly they are. There, there's no way it's a coincidence. OJ was so filled with rage at Nicole over the dress, so jealous, so out of control of his emotions, he breaks up with his girlfriend. Which, God bless Paula, you lucked out that he broke up with you and it didn't get further and you weren't the next one to die. So Paula girl, be thanking you lucky stars because you're still here. Hallelujah. So, Paula, God bless you, hun. I'm happy you're still here. Wear tight black dresses. Anyways, so then OJ, after he breaks up with Paula, in the famous white Ford Bronco with the famous chase, with the gun, with the suicide, we've been over it a million times, the stupid Ford Bronco I wish somebody ran him over with so all of this could have been prevented. He drives over to Nicole's house. He wants to reconcile. Nicole says no, which, duh. She's finally gotten the strength to leave him. She leaves him. She's not going back to him. Like, she, he beat her. He treated her disgustingly. So he says no. So this is where the prosecution believes that that was like kind of the final nail in the casket. And then Ron Goldman shows up with the sunglasses and he was murdered to remove any witnesses from the crime. So the prosecution's theory in a nutshell is OJ broke up with his girlfriend, went over to Nicole's wanted to reconcile she says hell no we won't go you're gross you're abusive i don't want to be with you i'm not happy he kills her ron goldman shows up to drop off the sunglasses and sees the scene and is killed because of seeing it they want to silence any witnesses i'm re-watching the sopranos right now and if you've ever watched the sopranos you know you can't leave any witnesses. You cannot do it. Even The Wire, no witnesses. I also love The Wire, too, obviously. Omar, best character probably to ever grace television screens. I love him. Tony Soprano is a really good one, too, so they might be tied in my book. Can you tell I'm into psychology? Those are my favorite characters of all time. They're so messed up. So... I, in the end of this, like I've said, I'm going to throw into this theory that I believe his eldest son was involved. The prosecution clearly didn't have that in their theory because this has come to light somewhat recently. But so in the end, I'm not going to include it now because we have to go over the trial and why it turned out the way it did. So in the end, we'll get into my theory about 
O.J. Simpson's oldest child. So they say after all this takes place, Juice the Douche jumps in his getaway car, the white famous Ford Bronco, and goes home. He parks it where people can see it, they say. That way he can be like, no, I was here and people have seen his car. So he goes into his house, puts all the clothes into a backpack, except for the gloves, which if you remember, the cops found the bloody gloves in OJ's yard. Remember? Yes, the bloody gloves in OJ's possession and socks. So he doesn't bring those, but he brings the rest of the clothes. He gets dressed and goes to the airport. Now, this part of the theory, I can see at the airport, he dumps the clothes, right? So he takes a knapsack and just throws them in the trash. And, you know, airport trashes, think about it. A lot of people have access to that. So unless it's on surveillance tape of him dumping everything into the garbage, he also has plausible deniability that it was him that did it. Unless it's matching his DNA or whatever. But anyways, so he throws them in the trash, put then puts the knapsack in his suitcase and goes on to his flight. So as I said, the prosecution, one of their main points was the domestic violence that took place in Nicole and OJ's relationship. Can we just focus on his nerdy name for a second? Orenthal? Orenthal? That, like, seems to me like a little kid who got made fun of in school. Maybe that's why he was such a douche, but Orenthal? No wonder he went by OJ. So, prosecution starts with the domestic violence. They play a four-minute call to 911, and it's from Nicole. It happened on January 1st, 1989. She said she was scared that she was going to be physically harmed. You can hear old Orenthal. Orenthal, get your glasses on. That's all I can think of. Okay, sorry. You can hear OJ in the background yelling, and you can also hear him striking her. Detective John Edwards is the officer that responds to this call. And he testifies that when he gets there, Nicole, who was severely and noticeably beat up, even from a distance, so she's not even next to the detective yet. She's hiding in the bushes and she comes out screaming, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me, talking about OJ, obviously. And so John Edwards witnesses this and he's like, this woman was clearly attacked by her husband. There's no question in my mind. And she was scared for her life. Most people don't hide in the bushes and say that their husband is going to kill them in a happy marriage. So poor Nicole, she calls 911. They take pic. These are the pictures I'm speaking of where if you Google it, that will stay in your mind. And you can see what the detective saw. It is terrible. 
is disturbing. It will stay with you 100%. It is absolutely terrible what happened to that poor, poor, poor woman. Sorry, Nicole, rest in peace. Even though I joke throughout my episodes, I just want to say I always have the deepest respect for the victims and I hope Nicole is resting in peace and watching her kids grow up and all of that. So, yeah. Also, I've been in an abusive relation and if relationship and if you are in one or if you are struggling or if you have a friend that's struggling, please reach out to me on Twitter at my DM. I can give you resources. There's also the national hotline for abuse or you can contact authorities if you feel safe enough to. I know a lot of people are scared because after they contact authorities, the person gets released and then can kill them. So I'm not saying you have to, but you can contact somebody who will help you. There are women's shelters. There's so many things out there. So I just want to say that. And I'm available on Twitter at all times. So please message me if you are going through that. Okay, off that little tangent. So they take pictures of Nicole's face and the prosecution shows how badly Nicole is beaten to the jury. And they show them to confirm that John Edwards' testimony is correct and he remembers that night correctly. So this leads to OJ getting arrested. He pleads no contest and he got probation for a year. Ron Ship, who was in the LAPD and a friend of OJ and Nicole, testified on the 1st of 1995 that OJ said he didn't want to take a polygraph test when the police offered it to him. So Ron Ship says that Orenthal, old Orenthal, didn't want to take the polygraph because he, quote, I've had a lot of dreams about killing her. I don't really know about taking that thing, unquote. Okay. Listen, you could dream about killing somebody, and I'm assuming when a polygraph asks you, did you physically harm your wife, and you say no, and it's true because it was only a dream, the polygraph will be fine. I do crazy shit in my dreams. I'm getting married soon, and I had a dream that my <laughs> my fiancé did not show up, and a kid I went to high school with, who I haven't talked to in, like, 15 years, showed up in his place in platform Nancy Sinatra, these boots are made for walking, white pleather boots, and Elton John was there. If I got asked on a polygraph test, have I met Elton John? And I said yes, pretty sure it would show up as lying. So, wee-woo, wee-woo. There goes our bullshit alarm on old Juice the Douche again. So, I don't know. Maybe it would fail the polygraph test. I can't say for certain. I am not a polygraph expert. But people dream crazy, crazy things all the time. And I don't think... 
dreams have a dramatic effect on the polygraph. So the prosecution then called Nicole's sister to testify and she knew and testified about all the domestic violence that took place in the 1980s and she actually witnessed some of it. So he was ballsy enough to be committing these acts in front of her family. So he was beating this poor woman in front of her her family because her sister said that she saw him physically throw her out of the house during an argument that is terrible and if he's willing to do that in front of the family just imagine what he's willing to do behind closed doors like he was saving face by not doing more than physically throwing her out obviously so Just imagine what Nicole had to endure on the regular behind closed doors. She also said that the night of the dance recital that Ole Orenthal seemed really agitated with Nicole. So, as we said, he was pissed about the black tight dress. He didn't invite his girlfriend. And then Shapeep Shabam... He asks her to reconcile. She says no. And all of a sudden, she's not with us anymore. So there's that. So there's a video, however, that shows OJ being given a kiss by Brown's sister at the recital. But somebody comes forward, Kato Kalen. And corroborates that Simpson was upset with Nicole because of the dress she wore. So, in the prosecution's plan, they planned to present 62 incidents of domestic violence. Three of which were unknown. And Nicole had documented them in her own letters And put them in a safety deposit box. Now talk about being scared you're going to lose your life. She is making a log of her beatings and keeping them in a safety deposit box. So if she doesn't make it, somebody can find these and know what's happening. That is very sad on a lot of levels. Judge Ito, if you remember, I said he's the judge who presides over this trial decides that when the defense wants to suppress the incidents of domestic violence, they can't. But only witnessed accounts could be made to the jury because Orenthal James Sixth Amendment rats. I hate him. I just hate him so much. I want to just kick Orenthal right in his Orenthal. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. He just pisses me off. So these letters Nicole had written included statements that she had made to friends, family, people she was close with. You know, like she wasn't just writing these letters. She had discussed it with people. But since that's considered hearsay, it was not allowed. But despite out of all of that, of 62 incidents... 44 incidents 
were planned to be presented to the jury with all those guidelines. However, Marsha Clark decides that on June 20th, 1995, she's going to drop all the domestic violence and not present it because she believes that the DNA evidence will be enough to convict him. Marsha, 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 to quote the Brady Bunch, but in a bad way. Not like, oh, Marsha, I'm jealous of you. Marsha, why are you shitting on this case that was handed to you on a silver platter? Why are you not presenting everything you possibly can? I don't care what you think about DNA evidence. In 1995, people didn't know that much about DNA evidence. And we all know OJ gets away with it. So like, Marsha, what the hell? What the hell, man? You had terrible hair and a terrible idea not to include that. Like, I am upset. And yes, her hair was so bad. It was so bad during that trial. If you've seen American Crime Story, yeah, the recreation of her hair is just as bad. She thought the DNA evidence would be insurmountable. But it was dismissed. So it wasn't there. And it was because of comments made by a dismissed juror, Jeanette Harris. And Christopher Darden later confirmed it was true. It was because of those Because she disclosed she was a victim of domestic violence from her ex-husband. So remember I told you she gets kicked off because she discloses after and the defense might have dismissed her. So, yeah. But she comes out and comments that the abuse of Brown was a whole lot of nothing and it doesn't mean he's guilty of murder. So this juror is what convinces Marsha that Marsha, 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 that they don't need to bring up the domestic violence. Now, why you wouldn't do that, I'm not really sure because obviously it would make it look like he had a history of rage he could not control. Like, like I said, what the hell, Marsha? I want to go back to 95. I was only six, but as a six-year-old, I want to walk up to her, either kick her in the shin and shake her and be like, use it, just use it. So, everybody later comes out and says that They believe that people weren't convinced about the domestic violence and thought it was a waste of time because of race. Now, we're not saying people didn't think interracial couples had abuse. What people were saying was they were trying to make OJ look bad because of his race And the domestic violence was one way to do it, but it didn't prove he was a murderer. However, obviously from my comments, I think Marsha still should have included the domestic violence. It is a huge part of this case. Am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. 
So when it comes out about Nicole being abused, that is what people think turned the public against OJ. He was very beloved. He wasn't only an NFL star. He was in movies. He was in, you know, he was just loved. He was like, um, what's that guy? Michael Trahan with the gap tooth. Is that him? I can't remember. On talk show TV and everybody loves him and he's so sweet or like, you know, like Shaq, like people love him and he's done movies and he's done a bunch of ads and he's that famous gif with his shoulders going up and down that I love to use when I'm excited. You know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend you don't. So here's the timeline that the prosecution put on the table at the trial. Doctor, now, if I do not say this correctly, do not judge me. There's about a million syllables in this name. So, Dr. Lakshmanan Sathayavagiswaran. Sathayavagiswaran? Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's just his last name testified that the time of death for Nicole was between 10 and 10.30. Keto Kalin testifies he saw Orenthal at 9.36, but not again until 10.54, when he answered the intercom for the limousine driver. So, comes out, Orenthal has no alibi for one hour and 18 minutes and that's during which the time the murder took place. Coincidence? I think not, good sir. So, Alan Park testifies, the limousine driver, if you remember, that he arrived at OJ's home at 1025 on the night of the murders. And the car was not there. There was no Bronco, no white Ford Bronco. It's hard to miss if you've seen it. Especially because it's white. It's not like it's black and was hidden in the dark or something. No, it was not there. He also rang the intercom three times and got no answer. Then he says, a tall, this is an exact quote. So, quote, a tall African-American shadowy figure resembling Simpson, unquote, approached the door at 1050 and then stopped and went to the walkway that went to Keto Kalin's bungalow. Remember, he's the guest staying in the guest house bus behind OJ's house. This is huge because if you remember when I brought up the evidence that the cops collected, this would explain why one of the gloves was where it was why there was a blood trail from the front door to the Bronco and how the glove was on the other side of the house. Because he initially went towards the front door, so blood trail, and then went down towards the bungalow. So that's how the glove would have ended up on that side of the house. So then he worries. He freaks out. 
And he makes the sounds that Keto Kalen says he heard. And, and it's because the security system won't let him in through the back entrance. So then he gets rid of the glove and went through the front door. Now, Park admits that he cannot identify the figure. But he says that OJ answered and said he was home alone. But he was having a friend over. So he's home alone. It could have only been OJ, right? If he's home alone. So Perk also says, I shook his right hand, not his left. So I'm not sure if his hand was cut. If you remember, his hand is cut. We say, you know, it's from defensive wounds. He says it's from the hotel. He broke a glass and cut his hand. There is no broken glass. We believe his hand was cut before the hotel. So just keep that in mind. So altogether, the prosecution presents a total of 108 exhibits. And this includes 61 drops of blood and DNA evidence. And this is all DNA of Simpsons that they're using to link him to the crime. So there's no witnesses to this crime, obviously. Ron Goldman was there. He unfortunately perished. He was the only one who really knew what happened that night outside of Orenthal and Nicole. So, yeah. So the prosecution leans on the DNA. Like I said, Marsha definitely should have brought up the domestic violence because it definitely lays the groundwork. But it leans on the DNA. So they believe that it's unique and they can reconstruct the crime scene and how it was committed. And they believe they can do that with enough accuracy to create an eyewitness account. So make it resemble it to the jury. Present it in that way, if you will. So Marsha Clark, in her opening statements, says, quote, Trail of blood from the Bundy crime scene through Simpson's Ford Bronco to his bedroom door at Rockingham existed. So that's pretty damning evidence, right? So let's go over the DNA and blood trail. So Orenthal's DNA is found in blood drops next to a bloody footprint where the victims were on Bundy, which I still say that is an insanely ironic name for them to be killed on that street. Like Ted Bundy's evil ghost came up and decided what that street name would be. The probability of error for this DNA was one in 9.7 billion. So basically nobody else in the world could have had that DNA. So that's pretty 100% that that's his blood. DNA is also found on a trail of blood drops leading away from the victims into the back gate. The probability of error was 1 in 200. OJ, Ron Goldman, and Nicole Brown's DNA, all three of them, were found on the outside door and, wait, 
drum roll, please. Drum roll, make the noise in your head because I can't do it with my tongue. Simpsons, beautiful white Ford Bronco that I keep talking about. Probability of error with this was 1 in 21 billion. So once again, nobody in the world could have caused that besides those three people. On the bloody glove behind the home, the DNA found on it, Ron Goldman's, Nicole Brown's, and Orenthal's. Next, on the socks, if you remember, Nicole and Orenthal's DNA found on those. Probability of error was 1 in 6.8 billion. So, once again, nobody else in the world could have caused that DNA to get on that sock. Next, there's hair and fiber evidence. Susan Brockbank, who is the LAPD criminalist, testified on June 27, 1995, along with Doug Diedrich, who was an FBI special agent and a fiber expert, and they testified to the following. The glove at OJ's home matches microscopically the one found at the crime scene. This proves, if you're wondering what that means, the fibers matching identically proves that they're each other's mates. So that proves that that glove belongs with the other one. The two gloves and the blue neck cap worn by the killer had hair in it consistent with OJ's. The blue knit cap worn by the killer had hair embedded in the seams, meaning it was there from being worn repeatedly, meaning that this hat was theirs. They didn't just buy it for the crime. They they were using it on a regular basis. Now, on both Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman, Dark blue cotton clothing fibers were found on them. Now, that might not seem that outrageous or easy to point out, but in the video from the recital I brought up earlier where Nicole's sister is kissing OJ, he's wearing a similarly colored shirt. Also, Kaylin testifies that OJ was still wearing the shirt when they got home but not anymore when he answered the door. The shirt was never found. Ron Goldman... Ron Goldman's hair was found on Nicole's clothing and vice versa. So hair consistent with both victims was found on each other's clothing. So this helped support the theory that Nicole was killed first and then Ron came in and afterwards Ron was killed to silence him after he comes in and then they go back to Nicole and cut her throat which she's almost decapitated it was really bad so all of this hair is also the same hair that is found on the glove. So this also supports that the prosecution thinks that Nicole was grabbed by the hair, her head pulled back, if you can imagine that 
and then her throat slit. If you've ever seen a scary movie, you've probably seen that take place. So, back to our favorite Ford Bronco. Fibers that were only used in that model of Ford Bronco were found on both victims, the knit cap and the gloves. So then they go into OJ's home and find that hair that had belonged to the murderer and clothing fibers were consistent with Simpsons that were found on the glove. Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman's hair and fibers were also found in OJ's house and the Ford Bronco. And in the Bronco had hairs of Nicole Brown's Akita dog, which if you remember, the dog is the one that ran out and warned people on the street. Well, warned, was barking. I have dogs, so I like to imagine they talk, but they do not. I know I'm just insane. My fiance tells me all the time. Okay, so these he's barking to get people's attention and bring them back to Nicole. So the Akita sheds obviously they're fluffy dogs and that hair is found in the ford bronco then there's shoe print analysis which caught richard ramirez so shoe print analysis can really help so william j bodziak he's an fbi shoe print expert dude the fbi has experts for everything like when in your life as a kid do you be like, I want to be a shoe print expert for the FBI when I grow up or a fiber expert or whatever. <laughs> like reading this stuff when I was putting together this case was insane to me. Anyway, he testifies that the bloody shoe prints at the crime scene and inside OJ's Bronco, the famous Bronco, I cannot Stop bringing up no matter how much I want to. I hope Bronco gets no support from this podcast. Do not buy Bronco because of this podcast. So anyways, they were made, the shoe prints were made from the very expensive pair of Bruno Magli Italian shoes. And they were a size 12. Same size Orenthal wore and... Those shoes were only sold at Bloomingdale's. Since they were so expensive, only 29 pairs in that size were sold in the U.S. total. When shoes are expensive like that, it's way easier to track it down. Like, Roger Ramirez had sneakers on, but there was only so many sold, so it was easy to track him down. But, like, it wasn't like he was wearing designer shoes or anything. He was homeless, had no teeth, and was a drug addict. Like... So shoe prints can really help in cases is basically what I'm saying. Something you don't think of because you think, oh, you know, I wore my Vans. They're generic, blah, 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 but they can get the size. And if you own them and then they can match everything to your shoe. So shoe prints are very important. So I'm not making fun of the shoe print experts at the FBI. I'm just saying the FBI has very specific experts at it. So then they confirm that OJ was sold the shoes at the same store and he often shopped there for shoes. And the shoe print expert, 
Bodziak also said even though there were two sets of footprints at the crime scene, there was only one attacker because they're all the same shoes. So what does that mean? So we... I don't want to bring this up because this is the defense, but it kind of fits in now. The defense tries to say the person wore the wrong size shoes on purpose, the murderer, to throw them off their trail, and the shoe print expert said that was freaking ridiculous. To quote Orenthal directly, he says, I never owned a pair of those ugly-ass shoes. And since the evidence was only circumstantial that he did, he tried to deny it. He, those ugly ass shoes. Like, shut up, OJ. You're on trial for killing your wife. Don't worry about whether shoes are attractive to you or not, you stupid little butthole. God, I hate him. A Bloomingdale's employee, Samuel Poser, said he remembers showing OJ the shoes, but there was no record of him purchasing them. Although... They couldn't confirm that Simpson owned those shoes. He did Bodziak, the shoe print guy from the FBI, you know, the little kid who was like, I want to be a shoe print expert, did say that that shoe print was found inside, guess what, boys and girls, say it with me, the white Ford Bronco. If I never have to say Bronco again after this case, I will not be sad at all. So he finds it in there and like the defense brings up what if the car was stolen and Bodziak says he cannot definitely confirm that the shoe print in the car came from the shoe because it was smudged. But it was unlikely that somebody who stole the car from and his friend, if you remember, would make a shoe print in the Bronco. Okay, so that's it for the prosecution. Next time we will get into the defense. I quit my job, so I have more time for this now. So remember, follow us on Twitter at Weed Crime One or just look up Weed Wine True Crime. You'll see our logo. Follow me. Share with friends, rate us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us to so people can find us and keep tuning in, guys. I will be back soon with the defense case. Love and peace and good vibes to everybody.